The Fanny Mechanic Show with Dr. Tash, where we dive in, go deep and open up about women's health. Hello and welcome everyone to this week's episode of The Fanny Mechanic Show. I am your host, Dr. Natasha Andriatis, aka Dr. Tash, and this episode is proudly brought to you by City Fertility, global leaders in fertility and IVF. This week, we dive into the topic of what it's like to be a pharmacist. We go deep with Sydney-based pharmacist Adele Tahan. Adele opens up about her role as a pharmacist and shares tips for being the best pharmacist one can be. She shares stories about how pharmacists help people day in, day out. We discuss why it's important to have a pharmacist you trust, just like having a GP you trust. As doctors, having good working relationships with pharmacists is key to being able to look after our patients well. Their advice and expertise is invaluable. We probably don't appreciate them as much as we should. How can doctors and pharmacists best work together? What does a compounding pharmacy actually do? We discuss why excipients, that is fillers such as lactose, are put in our medications. If you don't tolerate a drug, could it be the lactose in that medication or supplement? How has COVID impacted your local pharmacy? We also discuss emergency contraception, drug scheduling, and more. A little bit about Adele. Mr. Hahn is an experienced director and community pharmacist based in Sydney. Through her extensive experience of over 20 years as a pharmacy proprietor, she has helped many patients with chronic disease management, mental health, drug, and addiction problems. She has been instrumental in a number of research studies conducted in partnership with Sydney University and the University of New South Wales. Currently a director on the board of the New South Wales Guild, a special advisor to TGA and a member of an advisory committee for the Central and Eastern Sydney PHN, that is the Primary Health Network, Mr. Hahn brings outstanding corporate governance knowledge to any board table. She has implemented quality pharmacy programs, risk management, cybersecurity strategies, and many other initiatives in her pharmacy in Sydney, Roselle. As a preceptor, she imparts her vast knowledge and experience of compounding, patient management and research with the intern pharmacists. Her aim is to improve the quality of life for her thousands of patients and contribute to the overall national healthcare standards. I hope you enjoy our chat. Adele Tahan, thank you for joining me today on the Fanny Mechanic Show. How are you going? I'm good, thank you, Tash. How are you? How was your day in the pharmacy? Tell us about your pharmacy. You're a pharmacist in Roselle, is that right? Correct, yes. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, it's a great, it gives me great pleasure to be doing this with you today. You're a, you're a um, podcast virgin until now. Uh, that's right. <laughs> I am um, and, and yes, that's correct. I am a pharmacist and I do work and um, uh, adore compounding pharmacy in Roselle in Sydney. Um, and I've been um, running this pharmacy now for 17 years and I absolutely love it. And it keeps on getting better. It's got its challenges. Um, it's got its um, issues. But uh, at the end of the day, it's very rewarding to um, see a difference in the, my local community's lives and their health and well-being. So you've been in the Roselle Pharmacy for 17 years all up? Correct. Wow, that's I a have. long time. Yeah, you would have seen a lot of changes then in Roselle and in Balmain. Absolutely, yes, I have. And oh. still there are more to come as well. Mm, yeah, lots of building around there, construction. Correct. We've got the West Connect happening right behind us down the bottom of um, the Iron 
Cove Bridge. And uh, we also have the Sydney Metro that is taking place um, as you're turning into Victoria Road from Anzac, uh, the Anzac Bridge. So plenty of things happening and we're right in the middle of it. Yeah. How is it affecting <laughs> yeah. your business? How does... How does, you know, construction in an area affect affect a business potentially like yours? I think um, it'll affect us via parking, via disturbance, also via the fact that they've acquired some houses um, for our uh, regular patients and customers uh, who had to relocate from the area and we have lost some of them. Mm. Um, however, I'm very hopeful that uh, once the construction is over, um, you know, we um, we can just uh, have a beautiful area to live and work and it'll be nice and peaceful again. And what so, do you love about being a pharmacist? I love making, seeing a difference in people's life. When they come back and they say to me, oh, you know what you recommended me? You were spot on. And, you know, I mean, I can share this small story with you um, and with uh, our listeners. Um, I've had a gentleman who has been a, a regular patient of mine for a, a long time, over 15 years, and he only takes blood pressure tablets. He came in um, asking about the brand of blood pressure tablets he's on, and he said, well, I just want to check if it contains lactose, um, as I have been um, getting headaches recently. So I went and I checked the, um, all the excipients of the tablets, and I said to him, um, I will call him patient G. Mm-hmm. Um, Should we call him and, uh, John or Jerry? Uh, let's call him Jerry. Oh, I said, Jerry okay, Jerry. Yeah, Jerry. <laughs> I said, Jerry, um, well, they're, they're, they're not no difference to what you were having before. Uh, the, this brand contains the same excipients, which is the non-active ingredients in a tablet um, that are contained in all the other tablets you've taken. I said to him, I think you should go and see your doctor. Uh, because if you're getting headaches and you never get headaches before, this is something that needs further investigation. Um, a week later, um, I get his wife coming in, crying in the morning. I said, what happened? She said, well, we spent the whole Saturday at the emergency department. Um, Jerry hasn't been himself. He hasn't been um, feeling the same. He hasn't feeling the best. He couldn't even understand me. He couldn't even comprehend things. Um, and after test at the hospital at the emergency in Concord, they've um, found out that he had lesions on his brain and there are malignant lesions. He, he, to be precise, he had 28 of them. So brain cancer um, or a metastatic spread from somewhere else, sounds it like. Has, it has spread somewhere else, correct, Dash. It has, unfortunately. He had a, a lesion on his lungs, mm. on one of his lungs, and... Um, and he had 28 of them in his brain. And he was a few days away from having a seizure. Mm. So um, the fact that I've recommended him to go and see his doctor to get these headaches checked, um, you know, potentially could have saved him from having a seizure and hurting himself because he's not a, you know, an epileptic patient. He's never had epilepsy. So um, he's currently um, having a radiotherapy. So they're blasting his brain with radiotherapy and um, we are still waiting to see the outcome of the treatment. So, yeah, it's it's so important that um, patients have a really good relationship with their pharmacists and their doctors uh, and make sure they communicate because... 
you know, the, the average patient is not a healthcare professional. They don't understand the consequences of feeling something like that. So, mm. yeah, so my interference with uh, my advice to him has actually prevented him from having further um, injuries, from potentially having a seizure by him going and seeing a doctor um, for his headaches. So, so yeah. yeah, I mean, that story kind of... Uh hones in on the fact that people should see the same pharmacist if they can, like they would see the same GP. Would you agree? Absolutely. Because I think some people just kind of take it for granted that, oh, you know, I'll just go to any pharmacy, especially if they've got chronic health issues. Maybe seeing a regular pharmacist is is definitely a good idea. Absolutely. And and it's something we highly recommend that uh, any patient to stick to one GP um, someone who's local that they can see his or her GP, um, you know, quite quickly and to have really good relationship with their GP and also with, with their pharmacist, because there's so much more to health than just a prescription mm. or just an advice, a one-stop advice. You know, we, we know so much about those patients. We know about their families, we know about their histories and allergies. Um, and as you know, Tash, from your work, you, you know, I, I remember the first time I met you, we had a really, really good chat about things and you were asking me lots of questions. So I thought that's really unusual, but it's good. I didn't actually, I felt it was great. The fact that you're actually really interested in learning about me as a person and learning about my dreams and aspiration, because obviously for you, it, it also helps you, gives you more depth and meaning to your work as well. Yeah, that that is very true. Knowing knowing more than just the superficial layers of someone and knowing what, what makes them tick, I think what makes people tick and knowing that is very important. And even if it's someone that just walks into your store knowing what makes them tick, you know, sometimes you'll have something in your pharmacy that might suit them. Uh, something you yeah. might come in and you'll think, "Oh, maybe this person would would benefit from this product perhaps." Um and and that you'd only know that if you knew the people coming through your door well, I would think. Yes, no, that's very true. I actually often think this way. To be, to, it's funny you're picking up uh, like a product, but I, I never think about a patient as a patient. I think about them as a person, and people wonder why I I remember their names, and I say, well, you're just a unique individual, mm. and um, healthcare is about knowing you, you as a person, not just as a number or a script or a consult or whatever you might call it. So. It's critical that uh, patients understand the value of uh, having this personal relationship with um, their uh, treating healthcare professionals, whoever that healthcare professional uh, is or whatever they are, whether they are a specialist like yourself um, who or a GP or, a, or an optometrist or a dentist, etc. I mean, the, the, the area that you can go further and further and in depth in, it, it's just never ending. So, you mentioned yeah. earlier excipients, so the non-active ingredients in medications. Why are they put there? Why do they put them in our medication? You know, like lactose, a lot of people are, uh, you know, yeah. sensitive to lactose, but why are they put there? Um, that's a really good question, um, Tash. Well, excipients are fillers. So um, sometimes uh, the medicine will only occupy a very small part of the tablets or the capsule. And to make up the rest and to create an even mix, so every single tablet or every single capsules have the same amount, uh, you'll need to put in a filler 
um, as in to fill in the rest of the gap that you might be trying to fill a capsule. So for example, when I compound a medicine, I always include uh, an excipient, which is a non-active uh, filler, and that could be a lactose. Uh, patients who are allergic to lactose or they can't tolerate lactose, we will choose a different excipient uh, to fill in the capsules um, in order to, to finalize the product. So is that one benefit of, of having a compounded product in that the patient can have the excipients kind of selected for them? Correct. Oh. Uh, that's exactly one of the reasons why we compound. For example, uh, yesterday I compounded a paracetamol or a Panadol suspension. Um, and uh, the patient is a two-year-old uh, child who is allergic to the preservative in Panadol brands. So I had to make uh, an alternative product and all my products that I compound do not contain the preservative. Uh, the majority of them don't contain any flavoring or coloring. So it suits a lot of patients who have certain allergies or intolerances to this active, uh, non-active ingredients um, that the, there is a compounding option available. And it makes it very customized. It'll be personal. It's just for that individual patient. Can you explain to our listeners what a compounding pharmacy does? Uh, sure, I would love to. And thank you again for a, another great question because I get asked that question very often. So uh, compounding is what pharmacy started from 200, 300 years ago, even thousands of years ago, where you make a product from scratch for an individual patient. Um, and uh, usually it's uh, prepared on a prescription. Sometimes if it's a nutritional like a magnesium, for example, it can be made uh, without a prescription um, and it'll be prepared in a lab, in a laboratory uh, with a qualified, either a technician or a pharmacist. In my pharmacy, only a pharmacist prepared the products. Um, and usually the products, um, are, they don't contain a preservative or coloring. Uh, very um, rarely we add a flavoring uh, and we only add the flavoring on the request of the patient. And then we select the flavoring that's suitable to that patient. When I um, talk about patient, I also would like to cover um, any furry creatures as well. <laughs> Our furry friends, we also compound for lots of um, uh, animals, whether oh, they are pets, yeah, dogs, cats, ferrets, birds, fish, <laughs> all of those as well. Really, birds? We do. We wow. Do. We prepared an antibiotic for a bird at one stage. And <laughs> would we, have been uh, a special a bird. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and a fish who had an antibiotic. <laughs> wow. So uh, very interesting area of work, very rewarding as well. Uh, why aren't all pharmacies compounding pharmacies? Why are they um, not everywhere? Uh, it's a very specialty that you need to learn and um, learn how to do it and train and study. Uh, and as you recall, you and I, we met at the compounding hormone course. That was a great course. <laughs> It was a great course, and that was part of me, um, you know, improving my knowledge and learning more and trying to help more patients with uh, being up to date with the latest and the greatest when it comes to hormone. But that's only one area of my specialty. Um, other specialties are like analgesic compounding, uh, vet compounding, pediatric compounding, and they are all specialties. And there's so much to them than what you actually see from the outside. <laughs> Uh, the time that we spend on researching formulas before we actually make it, uh, we can, before we actually prepare the product, and we, we start by researching efficacy and safety. 
um, if the product that uh, is intended to be made does not uh, meet those two criteria, if not efficacious or if not safe, uh, we will advise the patient and we will not make it. Um, our aim is to create, uh, you know, amazing world-class products that actually make a difference and work for our patients. And if the product is going to be harmful in any way, we do not prepare it. And we always um, state that to the patient. We're very honest and forward, um, you know, about that particular issue. So, uh, yeah, it's just the uh, preparation of customized medica medication to patients uh, depends on their individual needs. Um, and sometimes the product is not uh, commercially available, so we will have to compound it, uh, such as the case with DHEA, dihydroepiandrostenidium, or even uh, melatonin, which is a sleep um, uh, serum that we prepare as well. So, yeah. What's the most common compounding product you make? Well, actually, let's break them down into groups, shall we? So for gynecology... Let's say for IVF fertility patients, I'd, I'd say DHEA is the most common one, would you say? DHEA and melatonin. And melatonin. And melatonin. Right. And melatonin. Yep. So they work hand in hand and very often patients, um, we receive prescriptions from their specialists, from, from their fertility specialists, um, and the prescriptions is for DHEA, 25 milligram, uh, one capsule three times a day. And uh, melatonin, usually anywhere three to four milligrams, just one capsule at night. Um, and they're very, very popular. And they have been proven to be efficacious. They do actually work. There are studies to um, to prove their value. Melatonin, the is, there's lots on that. I mean, there's lots on both of those. But my question about melatonin is why does it give people very vivid dreams? Not everyone, but most people. And I know it gives me very vivid dreams. Why does it do that? Do you know? Perhaps the doses might be too high. If someone is experiencing anything unusual, I would recommend that the dose be reduced. Um, and even one milligram or even half a milligram could make a substantial difference to the outcome. So uh, perhaps it's a dose is a bit too much. Because as you know, Tash, our body produces melatonin. As soon as there is dust, the, the brain, the pineal gland in the brain start preparing the body falling asleep. And that's why we, we yawn sometimes. And then when we're ready to fall asleep, the level of melatonin is quite high. And the opposite happens in the morning. When we're ready to wake up, the level of melatonin starts dropping down. And then you've got adrenaline and cortisol start rising to enable us to wake up in the morning and have this energy and being refreshed in the morning. So uh, it, it's just amazing how the body works. And the more we know, the more... I feel fascinated with knowing this and learning. That's why I love learning. And I think you two are the same. You're a bit addicted to, to courses that where we met, yeah. <laughs> yes. How about um, pediatrics? What, what compounded products are common in pediatrics? Uh, the most common product I compound is omeprazole suspension for reflux in okay. babies and newborn. And um, I could make it for um, as young as uh, two weeks of age. And uh, it actually works really, really well. Um, the, the benefit is just the, the difference in the child is amazing. And eventually, after a few months, um, you know, they can come off it. It's not something that they need a very long time. Um, what I always recommend any uh, parents who are getting omeprazole or any other medicines to make sure they introduce a probiotic uh, into their child's uh, regimens while they're taking any medicines because any medicines that you take can affect your microbiome. 
um, and um, and this disturbance, and especially with a newborn who doesn't have much, it's, the microbiome is constantly changing. It's very critical that we maintain that for the immunity as well, and for the parents, in particular if the mother is breastfeeding. And you want to make sure that um, you know her microbiome is as as healthy because it can be passed on uh, through the breast milk. So. Omeprazole, I would say, suspension is the number one product that we make for um, for babies. Yes. And do you compound the probiotics as well? Can they be compounded? No, no, we don't compound probiotics. There are a, a number of probiotics that are commercially available that we recommend, and it will be depends on uh, the condition of the child, the age. Um, you know, there, there are other factors um, that will determine the best uh, suitable probiotic. For, for a child or for the mother, as a matter of fact. So, then how yeah. about pets? So what's the most common compounded product for pets that you make? Um, for pets, it really varies. Uh, Trazodone is one of the most commonly prescribed and compounded, uh, but also we compound a variety of anti-epileptic like theophylline, uh, phenobarbital is commercially available, so we don't actually compound that. And it, it varies, and we do lots of uh, dispensing, normal dispensing, not compounding for pets, because as you know, all most medicines have been tried on, it sounds really bad, on animals before given to human, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, there's a whole spectrum of things. I wouldn't say there is one particular product that we compound more so than other products. So, yeah. And how do you figure out how long a product has on the shelf? Like how do people figure out expiry dates? Because I've heard from a few people that uh, many times the expiry date on a product is not really that accurate and that you might have a couple more months depending on, you know, the product perhaps. What do you say there? Okay, so with capsules, um, we always give them a six-month expiry date from the date that they are made. Uh, the only way that we can legally put an extended expiry date if we do validate the product, which means we have to send the product for testing, uh, we have to send very, we have to prepare many batches and send them all for testing, and when the test results come back and it shows clearly that the product has still got enough active ingredient with enough activity, that's when we can uh, extend the expiry date. Um, Otherwise, we will have to put six months for capsules, and that's because they're dry capsules, there's powder, there's no liquid in them. Creams usually have 28 days. Um, The only exceptions are for suspensions, and I'll explain to you. So most suspensions have a 14 days expiry date. However, the omeprazole suspension that we prepare, we put it in a base that's already been validated. And the expiry date on that particular base is 90 days. That This is correct. It's 90 days, which is three months. And that's because um, the company, the sponsor of the uh, base that we utilize, have done their uh, validation studies and they've come back with that date. So we rely on our suppliers to support us in that and to give us this um, evidence to be able to use those dates. So um, if it's not evidence-based, we can't use it. And we have to use the standard expiry date, which is 14 days for liquid preparations, 28 days for creams, and six months for capsules. 
and then it will be uh, the expiry date will be based on the product that we prepare, whether it's um, a cream or a capsule. Sometimes certain creams have a bit of expiry date longer because of the base that we use for the same reason. So I hope that answered your question. Yes, very much so in detail too. Thank you. Um, I had a question <laughs> yes. about vulva, um, vulval issues. So uh, if, if a woman has an itch down there, often she gets steroids. Um, do you compound steroids? What are the most common things you compound for the vulva? If any. Um, well, usually it's estrogen or progesterone, mostly estrogen preparation. Mm -hmm. that, uh, but if there is pain, there is actually a lady who is 90, 93 years old. She's in a nursing home. She does suffer from vulvodynia, which is, as you know, it's a pain in the vulva area. Um, and we compound a 5% lignocaine plus 2% amitriptyline. And uh, that has been proven superior to all the other uh, commercially prepared uh, uh, prescriptions that she was using. And just to give you an example, she was using Norspan patches. Norspan contains buprenorphine, which is an opioid. Mm. It's a quite a potent opioid. And uh, the side effect that she was experiencing from the buprenorphine, she was even turning blind in one eye from the side effect. Mm. And within a day from her stopping the patches and using the cream, she was a different person. Now, um, this lady is a war widow, which means her husband went to the war, came back, and she's got a gold, golden veteran affair card. So the Department of Veteran Affairs pays for her products that costs around $200 every month uh, because it's, it's actually causing her to use less medicines and to be reliant on less opioids. Uh, because all the prescriptions she was taking before were not uh, working for her. So this product, that cream that we make, and we actually deliver to the nursing home, um, has changed her life. And she's been utilizing it now for at least four years. So um, every month we make one lot and we deliver it, and she's been using it morning and night. And um, it's been working very well for her. So overall, though, compounded products are generally more expensive, aren't they? That is correct, yes. So um, uh, because they are custom-made for the patients and they are made uh, for one-on-one, -on -one, they are not commercially produced like um, thousands and thousands of units. Having said, though, if you look at certain products, if the drug itself is the active ingredient, for example, we compound a cream called tacrolimus. Mm. Uh, tacrolimus can suppress the immune system wherever you use it. So if patients use it on their face, it can reduce uh, reactions on the face and have a substantial, you know, impact on their life it's because, you know, as you know, the face is so sensitive and you don't want to have anything that you don't have any red patches on your face or anything. So Tacrolimus itself, um, Tash, um, we pay around $900 for one gram. That means 100 milligram cost to purchase is $90. So, before we do anything, just to get one active ingredient, mm. there's a $90 cost. So, um, so and, and then you've got to make the product and you've got to prepare the final product and you've got to do the calculation and write up the formula uh, because every single product that we make, we have all the paperwork and um, we can trace it back to the batch numbers of every single active and inactive ingredient that we put in. And we also have the, um, the expiry date on there.
So there is a fair bit of work involved in preparing any preparation. And um, every time we make a product and we've got to make a different product, we have to clean the whole lab and sterilize everything. Mm. So it takes even longer to, to make so many products in one day. So it's like having a bespoke or, a, you know, a special dress made specifically, especially for you, you know, you have to get the fabric and if it's, you know, expensive fabric, uh, i.e. Yep. an expensive drug, it'll cost more. So, yeah, I think from what I see as a practitioner, compounded products can work really nicely because they are tailored to the patient and that's what is so special about them. That is that is a really good analogy how you put it through as putting in a dress and and say you're going to a big function and then you've got to change your dress very often every hour or two and then you've got to change everything you you don't just change the dress you change also sometimes your makeup and your hair <laughs> so with all the changes that you've got to do and each dress is got to um, you know it's going to uh, invoke certain emotions or depends on the occasion that you're wearing the dress to. So, yeah, you could actually put that analogy, which is very creative, <laughs> I have to say. I would never think about making a dress and making medicine <laughs> yeah. at the same time. Or anything but, that's yeah, made like especially it. for you, you know, even even a, a diet that is tailored especially for you, all that bespoke, uh, all that work that goes into creating that product for you, uh, it usually is someone's time as well and um, effort. So that's what you're paying for, that service, aren't you? That is that is exactly right, uh, Tash, and that's a really good way of putting it. It's uh, it's all the bespoke of the, having this uh, specialty and just the uniqueness that is only can be prepared for you and no one else. And you know, it's not going to fit somebody else. It's like making a special dress for you for your special occasion, and it's just not going to fit me. <laughs> it's just your dress. <laughs> uh, so, what other services does your pharmacy offer, Adele? Um, yeah, we do offer a lot of other services. We have um, obviously a prescription dispensing service. We do um, home care, um, health and hire um, service. We also provide uh, opioid treatment program uh, where patients uh, are coming off uh, other addictive medicines and they need a program to maintain their um, cravings. And that's uh, as done on a doctor's prescription where we supply methadone, suboxone and subutex. Oh, so people um, actually are, come into the pharmacy for that or you just dis- dispense correct. them? Oh, they actually do go into that, into they, the pharmacy. They do. Mm. That's exactly right. And there are people who are living in our community that are normal taxpayers, they work full time, that you would never pick them for being anything different. And uh, we treat everyone the same, no different. Uh, what is the, the issue that you're coming to the pharmacy for or what the, the health need that you need? Everyone's the same. Um, is there a newer got, drug? Because when I was a medical student, uh, in the 90s at St. Vincent's Hospital, I did spend some time in the methadone clinic dispensing methadone. And I, I, I'll never forget that there were people that would walk through who were, you know, professionals, uh, people in suits, you know, having their methadone. But now I've heard that there is a newer medication, something new that's taking over methadone. Uh, there is actually another two or three new medicines, uh, mm. to be more precise. So you've got a Subutex, which contains buprenorphine. Um, and also there is Suboxone that contains buprenorphine and naloxone to help with the digestive issues as well. Um, and recently there have been a new depot of buprenorphine that um, mm. it can be injected in the arm. How long does that can, last? 
Uh, there is weekly and monthly depots. So it depends on the dose and depends on the, you know, the doctor and the patient preferences. The, the decision can be made, which is the most appropriate uh, uh, length of time the treatment the patient needs. And then the doctor or the nurse or the pharmacist can administer the, uh, the actual depot, which is called Sublocade or Buvidal. So there's two brands that, and they are PBS listed, by the way, mm. uh, pharmaceutical benefit scheme listed. So um, it does, um, it's, uh, it's, it provides for support for those patients who may not uh, want to be coming every day or once a week. Um, and recently with COVID-19, patients have been only coming either once weekly or once fortnightly to reduce potentially, you know, getting exposed and contracting the virus. So. Uh, that's been a really good move by um, the doctors and the healthcare team to allow that to happen. So, how has in, you know your business been in, impacted by COVID? Um, well, initially, uh, were you we selling lots of been... toilet paper initially? <laughs> yeah, we sold out of the toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have many anyway, and I, it's not like my business is, is based on toilet paper. <laughs> but we we got bombarded by by people um, in March. It was a very stressful time. And it was stressful because we were trying to um, remain safe and healthy without potentially contracting any virus. And uh, in particular for us, because we're at the front line and we're serving patients all the time, we have to you know, immediately implement measures where we have the physical distancing. We've got screens in our pharmacy. Uh, patients have to be two or three meters away from us, not even one and a half meter. And uh, any interaction, we maintain the distance throughout the whole interaction. Um, you know, we used to do offer blood pressure testing. We don't anymore because of uh, the potential for, you know, being exposed to a, a deadly virus. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then the April, it, um, it was still busy uh, with vaccination. So we, we do actually administer influenza vaccination um, at Adore Pharmacy. And uh, we've had a big surge of patients who were very anxious on getting vaccinated. So we were very busy with that. Um, May, we started experiencing a a bit of a slowdown. It started to normalize. Um, However, it wasn't as busy as 12 months ago. So we have experienced a drop, but it wasn't as significant drop. I think now in June, um, we we could look at the figures and see the impact of COVID-19 uh, on the business, which um, I believe we would have probably dropped a bit as well, and we're not as busy. So um, we're just trying to continue serving our local community as much as we can. We're trying our hardest and our best, and um, it's good to see that the community appreciate that and they're still supporting us throughout. So we're very thankful and grateful for it. How popular so, is uh, people? You know, the people coming in checking their blood pressure randomly. How popular is that in your pharmacy? I mean, that's a that's a great actually, service, isn't it? it? It was very popular. I mean, we always had a machine available for people to come in and do so. We always have a, um, a scale for people to check their weight. We have a baby scale for all the mothers to bring in their babies. Uh, we have two uh, treatment rooms in our pharmacy where, the, you know, nursing mothers can come in and breastfeed their babies if they wish. Um, if someone is not feeling well or they want to have a mental health conversation or any private conversation, we can go into the rooms for, to create the privacy and the atmosphere for that. Um, so we're very community-based and orientated. And uh, we, we uh, I mean, in particular, personally, I listen to what the community recommends and needs, and I try to provide it. 
um, as much as I can. You know, sometimes it might not be possible, but um, yeah, we we provide the uh, we also provide a needle and syringe exchange program, um, and in particular, patients who use um, who use you know drugs, and they we we make sure that um, they don't throw their needles in the street. So we provide feedbacks. Uh, so that all falls under the harm minimization umbrella to ensure uh, community safety um, and uh, also protection of those patients who are using those uh, drugs or, you know, illicit drugs. Um, so they're not uh, sharing needles and potentially contracting um, deadly diseases such as Hep C, Hepatitis B or um, AIDS viruses or uh, it's any kind of deadly contagious disease that you potentially can get. So um, that's another service that we provide at uh, Adore Pharmacy. Plus, the, you know, the ear piercing and the passport photo. Um, you have ear piercing as well. We do ear piercing, yes, yeah. and we've been doing it through um, COVID-19. We do wear protective equipment when we provide the service. Um, and uh, we also are a, a mental health first aid accredited business. So all the pharmacists at Adore Pharmacy have got the mental health first aid accreditation and they've done their course. So um, we tend to recognize when patients are either anxious or stressed or, you know, not feeling okay and they need to have a chat or they need support and how we interact with them. It's different to how you interact with everyone else. So. I think that's, that's great that you've got that room that you can take people in for some privacy. I think that's a great idea. I don't, I don't know if I've ever been to a pharmacy that has that. It's, that's not, have, that's unusual, isn't it? Or isn't it? We have, we actually have two rooms, but all pharmacies that provide vaccination, uh, they need to have a private room and it has to be a minimum of two uh, square meter in surface area for it to provide that service. So we have two rooms at the front of the pharmacy that we built uh, in 2017 so we've had them for three years now and uh, they've, they've proven to be very valuable during COVID because potentially if someone comes in with any symptoms you could isolate them there straight away until you know you provide them with a mask and um, you know you make sure you, you give them the right instructions and what to do next so that, that uh, room would come very in handy uh, when discussing emergency contraception how often do women come in asking for that? Well, we have so many ladies on the weekend coming in asking for emergency contraception. And, uh, you know, the conversation always uh, moves from emergency contraception to potentially speaking to your doctor about, you know, uh, everyday contraception. And there is a, a whole myriad of uh, products that you could choose from. Um, however, that needs um, a discussion with a doctor. And um, it, it'll have to do with your preferences and your history and what you can tolerate. And as you know, as a doctor, there's so much more to it. It's not just a, a mm. simple black and white answer. But say for, from your perspective as a pharmacist, if I come in, you know, I'm a 20-year-old woman or a 40-year-old woman, 45, it doesn't matter how old I am, I walk in and I want emergency contraception, please, Adele, can you help me? Talk me through that. Absolutely, absolutely. The first question I will always ask is, how long ago were you intimate? Um, because as we know, the, ma the majority of uh, emergency contraception work within 72 hours. Afterwards, it's not recommended or indicated. There is one, however, one brand on the market that can be used after 72 hours, which we don't actually stock. It's a bit more expensive. 
Um, we always also advise, we ask the questions is, have you had regular period? How long ago was your period? Um, did you have any symptoms? Have you had the emergency contraception before? Um, how did you find it? Was it safe? Like, did you get any side effects from it? Um, how did you experience it? And when the um, answers are all negative, we, we always provide the emergency contraception. We also offer some water. We always say to the young lady or the person who's coming in, um, would you like to take it now? Because obviously the sooner the better. What do you dispense? What do you give them? Uh, we're using Postinor 1, which is just one tablet. And uh, we just provide it then and they can purchase it without a prescription. So um, that's, that's the beauty of the emergency contraception. It's and what's the average cost of that to a woman? Um, it's around $30, mm-hmm. $25, $30. Depends on the brand. Um, I always uh, advise them that it's much cheaper to take that than to have a baby. Mm. <laughs> or, or, a, or a termination life. of pregnancy. That's right. That would be horrible. That's, yeah, that's exactly right. So it's it's relatively easy for women to get the emergency contraception. Is that correct? Correct. Yes. Excellent. In Australia, it is anyway. I don't know what happens overseas. I'm not familiar with uh, protocols in other countries, but uh, in Australia, um, a young person or a person can walk in and purchase um, oral contraception, the emergency contraception, contraceptive pill over the counter. Uh, we've got to make sure we ask the right questions and we provide the right counselling. Um, and um, yeah, it's not that difficult at all. Excellent. I'm very happy to hear that. It it makes a difference. It's mm. it's a part of women's rights. That's right. That's right. I'm glad that happens. Yes. <laughs> and it also, I have to add, it's men's right as well. So it's anything that affects women affects men because we are so much related to each other, aren't we? That's true. Fifty percent our DNA comes from my dad, and fifty percent comes from my mum. Mm. But it's nice to yeah. know that women don't have to beg beg and plead uh, to get emergency contraception and that it is available. And you kind of wonder how many women know this, you know, or men, Uh, how many men know that emergency contraception is readily available. And can I ask, is it all pharmacies? Do all pharmacies have to have emergency contraception? Would, Would some pharmacies not have this service? Well, look, I believe some pharmacists may choose not to sell that service that product because of their, uh, you know, religious personal beliefs, beliefs, yeah, personal beliefs, mm. uh, which I respect that. However, they need to advise the patients that come into their stores to purchase uh, or their pharmacies to purchase such a uh, product is uh, they don't sell it due to personal beliefs and they need to, um, you know, go to the nearest pharmacy and obtain the product. So they mm. need to provide that solution to the patients. Um, I don't believe it's uh, correct to deny someone uh, the treatment and not allow them the opportunity to obtain that treatment elsewhere. And what are the so biggest really, changes you've experienced in the world of pharmacy? Would, would Do you remember when, when emergency contraception came out? I actually don't remember. <laughs> it's, just, it's just always so busy for me. <laughs> um, I know it's been around for at least 10 years. Um, and I personally believe that there are more we can do for both men and women, for everyone. And I believe that there are ways and means where we can um, create workflow and create the systems and protocols in place to provide the easier access to treatment. Um, you know, providing that you follow all the necessary uh, questions and protocols. If there is any step that it doesn't work, then 
immediately there should be referrals happening. Like in the case with uh, our uh, patient, Jerry, who had headaches and we sent him straight to the doctor. So very often I refer to the, to the doctors for further investigation and, you know, diagnosis and treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't take on myself and I always clarify that to the patients who walk into a door pharmacy when I say um, I'm not here to diagnose. I can guide you to where you can go. Uh, if it's a minor element, the element that needs a bit of help, I can help you with it. But if it's a bit more, um, uh, you know, for example, I had a patient who walked in who used essential oil on his face. And as you know, essential oils are quite toxic. Um, and it burned his face. So I was very, very hesitant in recommending any treatment due to potential scarring. So I immediately said to him, look, um, this is this is a bit more than primary healthcare. You need to go and see your doctor because you may need something on a prescription. So um, he um, left the pharmacy and, and went. Hopefully he would have gone and seen his doctor for further treatment. So, yeah. And in your time as a pharmacist, what have been some big changes or events or things that you've experienced in, in your world of pharmacy? Look, I think when it's one of those things that continuously is happening. There's always changes happening um, every day. Um, for example, I think when Codeine got upscheduled to be a prescription-only product, that was a massive uh, difference to the patients with their pain. COVID? What oh, I, codeine. Co- codeine. Codeine, codeine. yes. Yep. Yes. So I've noticed that a lot of patients have moved from uh, the panadine preparations, which only contains up to 15 milligram of codeine, to the panadine forts that contains 30 milligram of codeine. Um, that was a big, big difference. And um, I mean, uh, when you get things available over the counter and getting either upscheduled or uh, downscheduled, and when I refer to upscheduling is when uh, Panadine went from being over the counter to being prescription. So this is an upscheduling. It, it goes from pharmacist uh, schedule to prescription schedule. Um, or the product like uh, um, Ilocon cream, for example, that's gone from being prescription to being over the counter now. So it's been downscheduled. Another significant product is Panadol Osteo. That mm. so just as of the 1st of June, it was upscheduled from pharmacy medicine to pharmacist-only medicine, which means you can't find it in the pharmacy anymore. You'll have to ask the pharmacist. And the reason for that is... Is it by script one, still? Is it script or...? No, it's not prescription. You can still purchase it without prescription. Yeah. However, you can't see it in the front front of pharmacy. It's, a, it's in the so. back. Oh, right. So I, I've noticed Correct. that when I do go to some pharmacies, there are all these medications in the back, and I'm always super curious, wanting to know what is what is it there? What what have they got in the back that they can't have at the front? So is Panadol Osteo now sitting there? Is it? Correct, and that's because um, there have been a, an increased uh, number of poisoning due to paracetamol, and that's because people haven't been using paracetamol correctly and now they need the interference of a pharmacist to educate and explain that Panadol Osteo is not the same as Panadol. Mm. So, um, and it's, it's a controlled release formulation, which means the medicine gets released over eight hours and it's 665 milligrams. So it's a higher dosage to the 500 milligram of normal Panadol that you purchase over the counter. Um, and uh, you can just find it in the front of the pharmacy or you might be able to buy smaller packets from um, the corner stores or the supermarkets. So, um, yeah, it's just um, that has been upscheduled because, uh, you know, 
paracetamol toxicity has been the number one reason for calling the poison inflammation factor. <laughs> so it's that that's how serious it is. And people don't realize that all the medicines that we have are actually poisons. Mm. And even the, the schedule that contains all this is called the poison schedule, the therapeutic good and poison schedule. So um, it's quite serious. You know, prescription medicine are very, very potent drugs. People don't realize how potent it is. But, you know, as you know, a small variation in a dose can have a big difference on the health and well-being of patients. So it's very critical that patients have a really good relationship with their doctor and their pharmacist and continuously communicate if they feel anything different, if they have any question, if they have, um, if, you know, if they have any inquiry about anything to make sure that they uh, communicate this and ask the question and ask a qualified pharmacist. I um, don't recommend Dr. Google uh, because it's very broad and not specific. And that comes again to the relationship that uh, the patient will have with their healthcare professional, whether it's a doctor or a dentist or an optometrist or physiotherapist or a pharmacist. So um, as you know, Tash, it's just very personal, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And you, you do have to find someone you like <laughs> to be able yes. to do that with. And, and, and some pharmacists are warmer than others, just like doctors and any other health professional, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Yes, for sure. Can you explain to our listeners and to me, um, I mean, I know a bit about this, but more for our listeners, scheduling, you know, schedule eight, schedule four. Can you explain this to our listeners, people who have no absolutely. idea what this means? Can you explain, please? For sure. There are um, every state and every territory in Australia, they have their own scheduling requirements. Um, the schedules are produced by the state. I'll just use the example of New South Wales. So I'm in Sydney, the state in New South Wales, for example. Um, so we've got different schedules. So they start from Schedule 1 to Schedule 8. So you've got Schedule 1 are general items like galenicals. They could be something like um, salicylic acid, but you don't find it in any particular store, um, only obtainable by pharmacies or maybe Bunnings, the lack of Bunnings, like alcohol sometimes. Schedule two is a pharmacy medicine, uh, such as Panadol and Nurofen. These are only found and sold in pharmacies because they are therapeutic goods and they require the health, the, uh, sorry, they require the interference and the um, instruction of a qualified person. Can't that you get them in like uh, coals though? You can buy Panadol in coals, can't you? You buy the smaller packets of 20 and less. Oh. But you can't buy anything bigger than that in Coles or the corner okay. stores. Mm -hmm. Any bigger packets are classified as, again, a, a higher as a S2 or a pharmacy medicine. So the new, the, the other name of S2 is, or Schedule 2 is pharmacy medicine. So it's only available and sold in pharmacies. Um, S3 is um, the pharmacist only schedule. And it's like if you come and see me and I'll talk to you a few minutes, I could say, oh, Tash, you've got an eye infection. I'm going to give you Clorsig eye, eye drops. Clorsig eye drops um, is an antibiotic, but that's classified as pharmacist-only medicine, which means I've got to recommend it as a pharmacist, and then I've got to explain to you what you've got to do. Mm. So it's like prescribing, but it's done by the pharmacist. So it's prescription supplied by pharmacists. The S4 are prescription-only medicine, which means they can only be supplied and purchased when the patient presents a prescription from their general practitioner or from their specialist. So these are the majority of therapeutic goods. 
um, and it's a quite a big um, section that uh, you know we keep all the medicines in a dispensary, um, and they can only be um, supplied on prescription in in the whole country anywhere in the country. So as five and six and seven um, have other medicine in it. Um, we don't use it as much in pharmacy, but um, uh, for example, you could use some uh, maybe hydrogen peroxide and things like that. That could be in any of those schedules. I have to check exactly. That's a, that's a hairdresser. That's a hairdressing um, chemical, isn't it? Maybe the hairdressers <laughs> have access to that. <laughs> But also you can use it as an antiseptic or an oral or a mouthwash. Yeah. It's very it's very versatile it. hydrogen peroxide. Yes, yes, you use it on your hair and you can use it in your mouth and you can <laughs> use it on your skin as an antiseptic. <laughs> so that's the beauty of poisons; you can move them around anywhere. Now, um, the important schedule is as eight or dangerous drugs. Um, these are normally kept in a safe. The safe has to be bolted to the wall or the floors of the pharmacy. And it has to have special specification. These also can be supplied on prescription. And the prescription has to be written a little bit differently to the rest of the prescription. For example, in New South Wales, the prescriber has to write by hand um, the quantity, the instructions, uh, the repeats. Everything has to be written by hand in New South Wales. Um, if so if the prescription is printed from, a, say, best practice, and um, then the, the the specialist or the GP has to write everything on it by hand, and um, it, it's got to be. And the pharmacist has to follow exactly what the instructions are. We can't value and vary any of these instructions unless if we get prior uh, agreement and uh, approval from the prescriber. Yeah, so, that reminds um, me of a time when I uh, I forgot that I had to hand write it and I printed it off, sent off the patient off to a pharmacy and I got a call from the pharmacist saying, excuse me, you have to hand write this. Yes, that's right. And this, this is different to different states. I'm just referring to New South Wales because obviously I practice in New South Wales and I'm very familiar with, the, with what we have to do in New South Wales. In other states I'm not as familiar, but I know in Queensland it's slightly different. So that's a, that was a very nice explanation of the schedules. Thank you. My next Pleasure. question, the difference between a, between PBS, can you explain actually before we go on to different type, types of scripts, can you explain yes. to our listeners the PBS? Okay, so PBS stands Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme. Now, the um, majority of people don't understand it. It's, it's a bit complex. And lots of pharmacists don't even understand it so if they don't actually own pharmacies and run businesses. So 90% um, of medicines are listed by Medicare under the schedule, which means the cost of those medicines are determined by Medicare. Um, for example, if you come into the pharmacy to purchase a medicine, for example, the IVF, Gonel, Gonel F mm -hmm. prescription, right? So then you'll have to write an authority details on it which allows the patient to get it at the subsidized price. If the patient is a general patient like you and I, so we, don't, we are not concession card holders, we will pay $41. However, that's not the full cost of the medicine. The full cost of GONLF can be anywhere between $200 to $300. And that is reimbursed to the pharmacy by Medicare. It can only be done when the prescriber, such as yourself, puts on the right information, and then also they have to put in the um, the treating clinic accreditation number. Mm. 
So um, that's how patients obtain them at a cheaper price. Um, and there is around 10% of medicines that are private, which means they are not listed on the schedule of the PBS, um, to which the patient pays the full cost. Uh, medicines such as duramine for, for, for weight loss, that could cost up to $140. And um, the patient have to pay the full cost for that because it's that's um, covered on, on the PBS. So, so duramine for you. everyone is a, is a weight loss drug and... Uh, how about Sixenda? Is that a private script? Another weight Correct. loss drug that's injectable. Correct. So it sounds like weight loss drugs are all private scripts. Which is actually not a, a really good way to go on about it because, as you know, obesity in this country is a big problem mm. that's linked to diabetes. So really it's something that we should consider listing because there's a public health benefit if we subsidize some of those drugs in order to help people to lose weight. But uh, weight loss itself is, is a whole treatment and a whole condition that we could even talk about at the later episode. Um, because, you know, Sexenda treatment has to last more than 12 months for it to be successful mm. because of the way the brain works in making us trying to put weight on. Yeah, I met someone <laughs> the other day who's it. been on it for at least four years. Okay. And how did they go? Oh, that's, that, they say that that's the only way they can maintain uh, a normal body mass. Which is interesting, mm. yeah. But that is another okay. a, a topic for another podcast. Yeah, for sure. Are there any other things that our listeners should, should actually? That's another question I had for you. Okay, so I go in with the, into my pharmacy with a script and I ask for Keflex, you know, and mm -hmm. then they'll ask me, "Oh, generic or what kind of? You know, are you brand specific? Can you talk more about that?" Okay, for sure. Now, um, as you know, um, Tash, when we were studying as students you only study the drugs by their active ingredients. We never talk about Keflex. We talk about cephalexin. We never talk about Panadol. We talk about paracetamol. So in the same way that uh, um, a community pharmacy operates, a hospital pharmacy also operates. For example, in hospitals, they don't stock many brands. All the drugs that are stocked and supplied in public and private hospitals are actually generic drugs, which means they're not branded. Um, very often, the branded drugs have a surcharge on them. Keflex, for example, has got a higher surcharge of almost $11. So, so it's more expensive um, as, as a branded product than a generic product. Correct. That's, that's exactly So right. what are people There's, paying for then? They're paying for what are they, what are they paying for when it comes to branded products? Well, they're paying for the brand. Mm. They're paying for the Keflex brand or the Augmented brand or the Atacan brand. And I'm not trying to pick any company because I, I there's no reason. I'm not trying. I'm just using those brands because they do have a premium price to them. And the premium price is because of the brands. They are the originator. They're the ones that came first to the market. Uh, the company's uh, patent on those brands have expired, allowing other companies or sponsors to produce and supply the market with similar uh, medicine. These medicines that we replace them with or, you know, we, re you know, change them over have to be bioequivalent, which means they have to do the same, same thing when you take it, you know, whether it's a medicine to be taken orally or to be applied on the skin or to be drank, um, you know, in any form it has to be, uh, has to produce the same therapeutic um, outcome and has to have similar uh, pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics profile. So um, it's just the way the body deals with it and the way it affects the body. These are the two pharmaceutical sciences that pharmacy um, students and pharmacists know about and speak about. 
So, um, yeah, so it's they're exactly the same. I personally go for generics and I give it to my whole family and I recommend it. However, I don't try to um, argue or convince people to utilize a generic. I always give them the option. And whatever brand they wish to have is what we supply them with because they've got to be comfortable and happy to take the medicine mm. because the best medicines are the one that they're going to take. And it's interesting because there is that tick box that doctors can tick that says no brand substitution allowed. Uh, Correct. Meaning that the that as a pharmacist, you legally have to dispense that branded product. That's right. We if if the doctor has ticked the box, we always have also the conversation with the patient because there are four criteria to allow us to substitute. Uh, we need to have an alternative bioequivalent product. The patients have to be happy to get a different brand. The doctor needs to be happy that we are changing the brand. And we need to be happy and satisfied as a pharmacist that the, the patient is going to be better off or the same off if we change the brand. So there are four criteria that has to be met before legally we can change the brand. If the doctors indicated that they don't want us to change it, we normally inform the patient that this is the case. And we always allow the patient the option because we always offer them the option to contact the prescriber and ask the prescriber if they would like us to change the brand, in particular when the brand's got a surcharge of, say, $20. Certain uh, blood pressure medicines have a surcharge of over $20. And it's quite a substantial amount to pay just for the name. Um, so, yeah, we always allow the, the patient the option in, at Adult Pharmacy. We never force anyone to, um, you know, go for a brand that they don't feel comfortable or not happy with to take. So... And how yeah. can pharmacists and doctors work together well as best as possible? What tips do you have there? Well, I, I strongly believe that we've always worked very well. I mean, we've got great working relationships with our local GPs. We always try to support them. We refer patients to them. They refer patients to us. Um, there's this ongoing relationship that's been happening and because we, we just depend on each other to, to um, you know, carry on our businesses every day. I think communication would be a way because we're both busy. We're busy running our businesses and looking out after our patients. And the doctors are also busy with various things, also looking after the patients and doing other things that the doctors do. So I think if we can improve on anything, it would be the communication, creating some sort of a communication hub where it will be easier for us to communicate in a private uh, um, environment. Um, and it's mostly in, in order to improve the uh, service delivery and offering to the patient to make it better for our patients to get a better outcome. Um, and um, yeah, that's, that's what I, I believe. And I'm sure there are other things, but that's in my humble opinion. I believe the communication is critical for the um, healthcare you know, benefits of patients. I always used to think at uni that they should have made it compulsory for us medical students to spend a week with a pharmacist in a pharmacy. Um, I think that's a great idea. Yeah. We, we, we do have so many. I've had a doctor last year who was working with us for over a month because she was awaiting her registration. She's moved over from the UK and she was waiting for her fellowship to come through from the RACGP. And she worked with us for a month and she was very hesitant to give advice because she wasn't legally a doctor, mm. even though she is a doctor. But uh, I love the fact that she was very kind of um, 
careful about what she does. So how, how was she, she working it. for you? What was she doing there? She was a pharmacy assistant. She was dispensing medicines, giving advice and, you know, working uh, in, in conjunction with a registered pharmacist. She didn't work on her own. I'd love so, that as a side um, job, you know. I've always, I've always kind of had fantasies of being a pharmacist or working in a pharmacy. I, I always got rejected when I applied for pharmacy jobs as a med student. Nobody wanted me. You'll have to. I would love to have you for a while. You can come and spend a day and be a pharmacy assistant. And you don't tell anyone that you're a fertility specialist or a doctor. Because <laughs> then, yeah, the questions will start flying, which is not bad. I'll just have to take him into the back room that you've got and we can talk in private. That's fine. <laughs> that would be fabulous. I would love that. And then we can just meet all the sort of lovely ladies in the area. That, that would be actually a great initiative. <laughs> Thank you so much for chatting uh, about general pharmacy. I've, I've learned so much from you today. Um, I had some personal questions for you, if that's okay, sure. Adele. Yeah. Uh, which people have been your biggest inspirations in your life? Um, that's a big question. <laughs> um, there are so many people. Look, I believe I'm a learner and I'm a good listener. So um, any person that comes into my life, I'm learning and they inspire me to do things. Every person, they might think that they're not um, a hero, but I believe being a hero and doing things that what we all could do, but we haven't thought about doing. Um, to be more precise and give you an answer, I would say my mother has been a big inspirational with her um, strong will and her determination, her passion and her empathy. Um, my mum and dad have been very massive influences on myself. Um, as you know, we're all products of our environment. So, um, yeah, my mother is, is, is a big inspirational to me. So, yeah. Mama, what's your mama's name? Layla. Layla. And are you of Lebanese yeah. background or Egyptian? I am, yes. Lebanese. Um, I'm Lebanese background, yes. Layla. And yes, what's I've your got, dad's name? I've got um, Anis, Anis. A-N-I-S. Ah. Yes. Lovely. Yeah. That's so, that that yeah. song, Layla. Who sings that song again? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Eric Clapton. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's mm. it. That's it. Yes, that's right. And what yes, are some yes. of your favorite books that you can share with us? Um, I've got a few. Um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's I think everyone should read that book. Um, Emotional Intelligence. That's also a fascinating book. A bit hard to read, but um, if you take your time and you read it, you'll learn so much. Um, one of my favorite writers is an Irish writer. Her name is Marianne Keyes, K-E-Y-E-S. Mm. And uh, she's a journalist and she's also um, a lawyer. Um, and she's also a, an amazing writer. She unfortunately she suffers from depression. Um, and she has written, I pretty much read all her books. I don't think there's any book that I haven't read. She, um, she's a very funny writer. She, she actually literally makes me laugh when I'm reading her books. When you start reading her books, you cannot put them down until you finish. And she does actually dwell into the human psyche. And when she starts writing, you feel like you're actually living through her characters. That's the depth of her writing. And also her descriptive, descriptive style is fascinating. It just uh, engages you so well that you feel like you're living in Ireland. What's <laughs> her name again? Marianne Keys. Marianne Keys. So, okay, I have to look Keys. that up. Yes, it's. Uh, I've got all her books. I'm happy to share some of them with you. <laughs> you might not get <laughs> them back. Oh, well, no, you can have them. <laughs> <laughs> you're worth anything, Dad. Oh, thank you. <laughs> 
<laughs> and what are songs that make you happy? Um, well, I actually love classical music. Hmm. But, do you play it um, in your in your pharmacy? I do sometimes, but not many people like classical music in Brazil. <laughs> 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 I've been playing playing the chill music from SBS, so that's been quite nice. There's no ads at the pharmacy. Um, uh, some of my I don't really have any particular. I like Adele's song, the um, the English um, yeah. you know, um, singer. Um, Madonna, I like the 80s style. I don't have any particular favorite song as such. So um, I'm more into, um, I like the, it's just, it's, it's, I've got an eclectic style as well. It's not like what everyone likes. I don't like what everyone likes. Mm. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah. And do you have a dream collaboration? So I would love to work with the AMA and the RACGP mm. on creating a better healthcare um, environment. Who are they? Uh, the AMA, the Australian, oh, Australian Medical, Medical Association. I thought you said ANA, yeah. AMA, yep. AMA, yes, and RACGP. There's always um, negative media articles between them and pharmacy and I'm trying to say, hey, guys, we're not that bad. We're not trying to compete. We would love to work with you. Um, on making sure our patients are looked after, we're delivering a healthcare experience to everyone. But I suppose the politics always gets in the way, and there's always per- personal agendas in between. So, mm. but yeah, I'm a bit of a dreamer when it comes to this. Have you connected with the right people yet? Um, I'm trying. I'm trying. You know, slowly. I'm, I'm working with the PHN at, at the moment, the Primary Health Network, and they've been fascinating, fantastic to work with. Um, they, they have a, there's a great bunch of doctors that uh, we work very well with them. So hopefully, slowly but surely, we will get to the AMA and the RACGP. And I'm talking on a professional level. There's other things I um, might think about one day, but you know, like world peace, if that's <laughs> ever going to happen. World peace starts in Brazil, in your pharmacy. <laughs> yes, why not? Yeah, in that, that little back room you got there. That's right. Yes. <laughs> and your, what are the top top tips for being a top pharmacist that you can share with us? Um, so for all those pharmacy passionate. students coming out of uni, what can yep. you share with them? Yeah, all right. Yes, I would love to do that. So number one tip, be passionate. Um, always keep up to date what's happening out there. Read and read and read. Um, persevere. Don't give up easily. You know, if the going gets tough, just keep going, um, you know, and uh, try to um, help as many people as you can. doesn't matter if they're nice or not nice. Continue on smiling and helpful. And the last tip is empathy. Never, ever forget to show empathy everywhere with everyone. It's just, uh, it's just part of our humanity and it's so important that we, we just show this empathy. So em- empathy, passion, perseverance. Consistency is very important. Just remain consistent. Don't change up and down and, you know, be up to date all the time. You know, read and read and read and read. (laughs) So five tips. (laughs) Thank you so much, Adele. Thank you so much. We're going to have you back many times. We're going to talk about lots of different things, lots of different drugs. So to all our listeners, listen up. Thank you, Adele. Thank you, Tash. It's been so good to chat to you today. 
I hope you've enjoyed this episode with the Delta Han and maybe you're appreciating your local pharmacist a little bit more now, just like I am. Share this episode with someone if you think it will help them. Please subscribe to the Fanny Mechanic channel. And if you haven't already, hop over and give the show a fantastic rating. I'd really appreciate it. Shoot me a message on Instagram, Dr. Tash Fanny Mechanic, and join the Fanny Mechanic podcast group on Facebook. Let me know of any topics you'd like to hear, cool people like an interview, or books for us to read. Until next time, stay fanny-tabulous.